I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans, to chapter 5. We'll study verses 15 through 17. Romans chapter 5, we'll study verses 15 through 17. Let me remind you, or if you've not been with us, let me let you know that here in Romans chapter 5, we are in the midst of the Apostle Paul's discourse on justification by faith. That is to say, how a person can be made right with God. Paul's answer is, you can only be made right with God by believing on Jesus. And as we continue here in verses 15 through 17, we are in a section where Paul is just indulging in considering Jesus and his benefits. And so this morning we have a gracious contrast held out before us and we're going to study uh, the truth of who Adam was and then who the second Adam is in Jesus Christ. Let us read God's word together. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Thus far the word of the Lord our God. May he give us understanding. May he help us to receive this truth and build us up in his spirit. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we've heard the testimony of the Apostle Paul. O Lord, pointing us to Jesus. O Lord, drawing us away from ourselves out of despair. O Lord, into the wonderful assurance that is the free gift of the grace of Jesus. Lord, help us to see him who was poured out. Lord, him who was broken. Oh, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ offered to us freely by faith. Oh, Father in heaven, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And just by me repeating to you those few lyrics from That famous hymn of John Newton, I bet most of you in the room have that tune and possibly the rest of that hymn going through your minds and also your hearts. But how often do you consider the first proposition of that hymn that the grace of Christ is amazing? You see, that's the Apostle Paul's point this morning in this passage of Scripture. That the grace of Jesus is amazing, that it's overwhelmingly good, that it's better, that it's life. And so this morning as we go and we study verses 15 through 17, I want to invite you to simply consider the grace of Christ, that the Lord would help you taste it anew and to see it more freshly and fully. In verse 15, I want us to see that grace is more. 
Grace is more. Verse 16, grace is better. Grace is better. Verse 17, grace is life. Grace is life. As we come to verse 15, let me remind you that this is that section. That section where Paul is drawing us to consider Christ. But he's doing so very skillfully. Now, I bet you're looking at your English and you read along with me and you thought to yourself, I've been a bit lost in this sentence or in these sentences. In the original Greek, it's basically one long, run-on sentence. It's heavy and hard to translate. And frankly, in some English translations, it's likewise very very hard. And I want to tell you this morning that Paul is, well, not playing the role of a poet so much as he is playing the role of a painter. The best painters paint in contrast, where you have light and you have dark, and the contrast functions so that the subject of the painting can be seen even more clearly and beautifully in its context That is the darker background behind it. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Don't give up on this passage of scripture. It is understandable. It can be seen clearly. And can be understood sweetly. And so as you look at verse 14. Just ahead of what we read and studied. We have Paul tipping his hand of cards a little bit to us. And he writes in verse 14. Read it there with me. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, whenever Paul says that, it just seems like a passing comment, right? That Adam was a type of the one who would come. But what in the world does he mean? And you see, there's a whole theological study of what we would call typology, the same sort of thing. These similar characters within the Bible, one who looks like the other, at least in some fashion, and who prefigures or shows you beforehand what the one who will come later is like. And that's essentially what Paul is pointing to, that Adam is a type of the one who is Christ who would come. It's as if he's saying... Adam, who fell, had a lot of similarities to Christ, who was, he was typically like Christ, but Christ is better, but Christ is better. And so we come into verse 15, and Paul continues that thought, and he gives us the contrast. You've got the contrast of Adam against the one of Christ, the contrast of sin and death and condemnation against the subject of grace and life and freedom. And so we read in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God in the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And so there you can see it. He holds these two things in opposite ends and in contrast. You've got Adam on one side and his trespass plunging the world into death and sin. And then Christ on the other with grace and the free gift of justification by faith. 
But you have to ask the question, I think, if you're going to pursue this and have some clarity. How do I understand this better? How do I get exactly what Paul is saying? Well, he's saying particularly this, that many died through one man's trespasses. That's Adam. He's saying, in Adam, you lost a lot. You lost a whole, whole lot. In Adam, you didn't gain anything. In fact, his one act cost you everything. You may ask of the passage, well, what did we entirely lose? The first thing I want to I tell you is that you lost a righteous or a holy heart, mind, and body. That's the first thing you lose in the sin of Adam. You lose your innocence. You lose your righteousness. You lose a tongue that was made to praise God that now can only curse him. You lose a body that was made in his image and after his likeness and now have a broken body that still is in his image yet itself has sinful desires that naturally loves evil, wickedness, and sin rather than righteousness. And you also lose a mind that was made to think after God. And you have a mind that only conceives of sin and sin continually. That's the first thing you lose. A righteous, holy heart, mind, and body. second thing that you lose in the trespass of Adam, that one man, is you lose a relationship with God. Where was Adam? Well, he was in the garden, and he conversed with God, and he walked with God. He loved God, and God loved him. There was a relationship one to the other. The creator with his creature in harmony and fellowship. Well, in sin, what happens? Well, Adam, afraid of God, the one who made him and loved him, he hid from him with his wife. He covered the image of God and took on clothings of fig leaves and whenever God came calling he very afraid revealed himself to the Lord a relationship that used to be bound on love now entirely broken bound on fear and opposition but you see in verse 15 Paul's emphasis is not on those two those are true those are biblically demonstrable but Paul's emphasis is this You lose your life. That's his emphasis. What is lost in the trespass of the one man? It is that many died through his one trespass. You lose life. You lose spiritual life. You eventually lose physical life. Death is not natural. That's what he's saying to us here. He's saying you are not made to die. Just as I touched upon last week. Death is not just part of life. In fact, it's the opposite and the two can't coincide. Death is the extinguishing of life, not the partner, not the friend or the complement of life. It is a judgment against life, the execution of life itself. You lose life. And you have to look at verse 15 and you have to say simply this, that is terrible The one act of Adam, that one sin, not the whole course of sin, that one sin, the taking of the forbidden fruit, the one sin plunged all the world into this. Not just Adam himself, not also just Eve, but all that would come from them, but also all the animals that were under his rule. All the plants 
that were under his oversight. The whole world tasted death. They paid an enormous price for one transgression. And he's saying if that seems bad, impressively bad, let me give you the contrast. The light and the subject of the painting is the grace of Christ that doesn't cost you a single thing. But it's a free gift and it gives you everything. It's better and it's more. The grace of Christ is not a thing that costs you. It is a gift. Something I want you to see is not just that it is a gift, but that it is much more. Look at what Paul says, verse 15. Don't skip past this. Read your Bible carefully. He says, for if many died, verse 15, through one man's trespass... Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus, abounded for many. He's saying if the punishment for that sin reached into the depth of your mind, your flesh, your heart, if it touched the very core of who you are, and it did, he's saying if it ripped the relationship of you to your God apart and put them, you and him at different ends and against each other, He's saying, if it took your very life, let me say this to you, if that's impressive, that it touched every piece of you, the grace of Jesus has an even more magnificent and powerful effect on you in your life, in your relationship with God, and for your life forever. It's much more. It is so much more. He's saying to you and to me, you aren't just getting back what you lost in Adam. You are given so much more. You're given a sanctified mind that doesn't just think the thoughts of God after him, but rejoices in those thoughts in Jesus Christ. You're given also a glorified body eventually that doesn't desire to sin, nor can it even desire it. That's what he's saying. He's saying that you're given a family relationship with God. You're not just his creature and he's your creator. No, no, no. He has placed you in his son as a precious, beloved son or daughter. So that God doesn't just walk in the garden with you and provide you with trees to eat from and plants and all of these sorts of things. No, 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 no. He seats you in Christ at his table and gives to you Christ as a feast. The slain lamb and his blood as a drink to refresh you, to renew you, and to restore you. You have a relationship of intimacy, not just of the creator and the creature. But you have a life that's everlasting, imperishable and untouchable. Do you understand this? You're not just going back with what you once had in the garden to walk with God in original righteousness. No. You have a life that cannot be snatched from you. You have a relationship with him that can never fail. You have something so much more. When I was a teenager, I suppose I was still a teenager. There was this terrible storm that hit the Gulf Coast of the United States. And it specifically hit the state where I grew up in. It was called Hurricane Katrina. You may be familiar with it. 
If you're not, just simply know it was a really, really bad storm that caused a lot of damage. And near the coastline of the Gulf of Mexico and the state of Mississippi, it just destroyed houses. And I can remember going down and uh, trying to visit a friend's home that had once been there. And we had a really difficult time finding it. Uh, Because, yes, the winds had come and slammed against the houses and blown them completely uh, off of the foundations. But there wasn't a stitch of the house left. There wasn't a shingle. There wasn't a door. Nothing in the yard. It was gone. There were floodwaters that had even come in and washed the road out. So we didn't even know where to drive to go find these houses. Right? And I'll never forget, we were standing and I was helping a friend just search for anything, you know, a photo or anything, looking all over the trees and in these huge piles of, of just tangled mess. And one of the neighbors of, of my friend came over and he said, you know, my friend's name was Don. He said to him, he said, Don, uh, we can't let this beat us. Whenever this is all over, we've cleared it out. We're going to build it back exactly like it was. It's terrible. We've lost everything, but we're going to build it back exactly like it was. Now, where I'm from, they don't build houses out of concrete. They build houses out of wood and lumber. It's what we call stick framing. They're not strong like the houses that you see here, not quite. And he's saying, I'm going to build it back just like that. And I'll never forget, Don looked over at him and said, well, don't you think we ought to build back better? You know, don't you think we ought to build back better? And that's exactly what so many did. And it became even a law in that neighborhood that you had to do this. You had to drill down and put columns of concrete deep into the earth and your house would stand up on stilts. You pull your car right under your bottom floor and you just go upstairs into the house. And then what's the frame of the house built out of? Is it built out of wood anymore? No, of course not. Hurricane force winds destroy wood and break it like toothpicks. Steel I-beams, strong, hurricane-proof houses so that the wind and the waves just don't have an effect. Build back better. That's the depiction of what you get here in the passage of Scripture. Yes, if you died in sin, yes, death is horrible, and yes, all of the effects of sin and the fall of Adam have come upon us. But if we are in Christ, there is built back better for us something that is imaginably more wonderful and more secure. Sin and the attacks of Satan can rage against us and there is nothing that can take these things from us. There is security because the grace of Christ is more than the offense of our sins. That's what Paul's telling you. Fairly simple. Jesus gives you back better and more than what you lost. Verse 16, we continue in the Apostle Paul's teaching. And he continues to paint this picture of Christ in contrast to Adam and also the contrast of free grace that is better than the fall. So let's read verse 16 together. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification okay can you see again you've got Paul holding these things in tension and he's got grace and Christ the subject 
in full view and in light against the contrast of the transgression of Adam. And what he's saying to us is this. In essence, you could break the the verse like this. The result of one man's sin, one trespass only, was that it brought condemnation on all people. It didn't just break the relationship. It didn't just break the mind, the body, the soul. It didn't just bring death. It brought the wrath of God. It made every single man, woman, and child guilty. That's what happened. One trespass. One time. One sin. All of it fell. That's what he's saying. The second part of the verse is that the free gift of Christ's grace, it's not like that. It's different. It's so much better even than that. He says that the free gift is greater than many trespasses. And it brought justification. This one act of Christ, this one act of Christ in the face of a whole multitude of sins. Not just for one person, not just for Adam. Not just for, you know, five or six people. But for anybody who would be in Christ by faith. Any of those folks, all of their sins were covered by the one act of his death on the cross. So it's not like it. You know, you have this one act and everybody falls into the punishment of it. Well, you've got this one act that's similar, but it covers a multitude of sins, a multitude of insults against God. And what does it do? Does it bring condemnation? No. In fact, it gives you justification. It gives you a right standing before the Lord, the God of heaven. I'm going to say something that might shock you. It may be something you've not wanted to think about or maybe even you've debated in your heart over, but it's this simple reality. If a person, if it's you, if it's me, if we're born, yes, bearing the likeness of God, yes, also in the fall of Adam, that we're born under sin. If you never think a thought or say a word or do a thing, but you just die, and the second you live, boom, and you face the Lord, what is your standing before his throne? Is it just innocency? Friends, it's guilt in Adam. That one sin of Adam, it's guilt. That's what he's teaching. But he's saying simply this. If you can get your head around it, you could sin thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times, never having passed away, never having to stand before the judgment. You could have amassed a whole litany of sins, a great list of things against God. But in the one act of Christ, you're declared not guilty. Righteous, beloved son, daughter, precious, holy. That's what he's teaching us. Is that in the multitude of sins, the righteousness of Christ is better. His grace is qualitatively better. It has quantitatively covered all of our sins, all our waywardness. Not just the things we say, not just the things we do, not just the things we 
we conceive of, but the inclinations of the thoughts of the heart penetrates to the very depth of who we are. And so the second thing Paul is saying very loudly is that grace is better. It is more powerful. It is more awesome than the effect and the weight of sin. Isn't that wonderful? The grace of Christ is better. It's amazing grace, isn't it? You go on and in verse 17, he continues this thought. And he says, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And there we go. Here's Paul again, and he's drawing the contrast. He's drawing the contrast between the darkness of the trespass of Adam and the death and its reign over us, its authority, its power in us and over us, over our minds. And then the life of Christ and his righteousness that allows us to reign, us to reign in life and not death. Let's look at that for a second, this distinction, the reign of death and then our reign of life. The reign of death. This is Paul's phrasing here. It's really kind of terrifying because when we speak of things that reign, what are we talking about? We're talking about kings. We're talking about authorities. We're talking about rulers, people that have power, that whatever they say something, something happens. People who have at their disposal great weapons, great authorities, laws and armies and all this sort of thing. And Paul is saying, yeah, that's basically how sin and death function toward the man, woman, or child apart from Christ. Death reigns. It has rule over people and in people. And can dictate to people what is and what is not, what will be and what will never be. And it's something that we all have to face with sincerity. You know, there was some years ago I was with a friend of mine. He's a, he's a medical doctor, physician. And he had a patient uh, who was in an intensive care unit. And my, my doctor friend, his name's Chuck. And Chuck said to me, you know, as we went and visited, I was with him, and he said, you know, this fellow's in really bad shape. He's in, he's in terrible shape. I don't think he's going to pull through. Uh, the man had been in a car accident, and he'd had extensive uh, injury to his brain and other parts of his body, and uh, was barely hanging on to life. And so Chuck had me whenever I was with him. He said, yeah, why don't you go hang out in my office? I've got a, a pretty hard phone call to make. And uh, he called the family and spoke to them. And uh, later he told me about it. He said it was a little bit startling. I said, how's that, Chuck? He said, well, I, I talked to her. And, I, you know, by the time I had left you at the office and went back to visit him and to, to make the phone call, he, he'd already passed. And so I had to call and I had to say, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, but your loved one, he, he's passed away. Well, the response of the family member on the other side of the phone was, Okay, well, we understand. Uh, Can he be put on life support? And Chuck said, I didn't almost know how to answer. 
And the best he could do was to say, I'm sorry, ma'am. He's dead. There's no life support for this. He's past tense. He's shuffled off the mortal coil. He's gone. Death has reigned over him. There's nothing I can do, ma'am. It's beyond my authority. I can't plug him into a machine and have it breathe for him and pump his heart. It's done. Death has reigned over him. And that's something like what Paul is saying. Death reigns over all people. And you and I can feel entirely helpless with this sort of thing. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you, one of the things that I find as a minister is, you know, you draw near to those who are suffering and sorrowing and and those who are dying. And I tell you, if I had an ounce of power to, uh, to... to fend off death in myself or a word of wisdom that would heal a person, I would want to do it in a heartbeat. But you feel helpless at the bedside except for Christ. You feel helpless to see somebody slowly, slowly slipping into the grips of death. But for the Christian, it's not an inescapable reality. It's not the final thing. It doesn't have the authority that then extends over the whole of your existence, whether in this life or out of life. For the Christian, there is something so much more. The reign of death can be ceased. It can be broken. It can be put to an end. That's what Paul is saying in this last point. He's saying death cannot have its victory and it doesn't reign over those who are in Christ. Death held Christ for three days in the grave. For three days it reigned over him and then he claimed his victory and resurrection. Paul follows this in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 54 through 57 quoting scripture and expounding on it. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Something I want to tell you is, friends, he's not just saying that to the Christian who's passing away. I mean, he is, but that's not all he's saying. He's saying that to the Christian who lives now. To a church that's breathing and living and thinking and existing in life. He's saying to them this. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're free from the fear of the reign of death. That even if you die, yet shall you live like the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. Death does not have authority over you. Jesus does. And he has gained victory over death. It has been put to death in his death. Praise be to God. The grace of Jesus is amazing. This isn't something that you and I ought to just repeat in the stanzas of a hymn without a thought. This is a wonderful truth for every Christian that ought to be tasted and drunk deeply of and clung to, and praised, and enjoyed. The grace of Christ, the amazing free gift 
to any who would receive Jesus Christ by faith. Do you have this? If you do, Christian, praise God, you are secure. And if you don't, you're here with us this morning and you're saying, well, Pastor, that all sounds well, terrifying and a bit crazy and all these other things. You can have this. And it won't cost you a thing. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Christ. You don't have to pay all the sorts of money to some sort of church or organization. You don't have to be perfect. You can come in just as you are and freely believe on Christ and receive all these things as a gift. And it will cost you absolutely nothing. And it will give you absolutely everything in him. Will you have it? Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your Son. O oh Lord, the one who stands in life looking down on the crumbled figure of sin and death and who proclaims that he lives and has victory over it. Father, we do pray that you would help us to cling to him. The Lord of life. O oh Lord, the one who proceeds from the Father. Oh, Father, help us to praise him and to love him, to rejoice in him. Oh, Lord, to feel the security of the gift that is given to us by his cross and his death. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.